Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, beautiful words of healing and comfort and assurance from God to each of us, even now as we worship him. A word of information about the handout you were given as you came in the church this morning. If you don't have one, uh, the ushers will be glad to bring you one. Just lift your hand to let them know. It's, there's no pop quiz, and there is uh, not a survey, and the only person who will see the, the form as you fill it out is you. It's used to help do a little self-reflecting as become apparent later on in the message. So it's there for you to think about even now and pray about a little bit and take with you on the days ahead and maybe you'll things that apply in the hand, handout will relate to you. Our text for today, as said before, is from the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verses 141. And we should start by realizing that this text is written by the man who observed the event itself. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. He would have been with Jesus the day they encountered this blind man who was blind from birth. He would have been able to verify everything that was said and everything that was done and the results of everything. That's why I think he took the form to write it the way he did, like line by line by line by line item for each, each instant and event of action or, or the argument between the, the parties concerned. 41 verses long and 41 verses full of drama, enough material for 41 sermons. But we'll just do one today, that'll be more than enough. What's interesting about the text are a couple of things. First of all, Jesus isn't mentioned all that much. He's mentioned only in 12 of the 49 ver times uh, he or the blind man are referred to or described. And then uh, the, the blind man himself is mentioned what's the amount that Jesus is. And Jesus appears at the beginning of the text, verses 1 and through 7, and again at the end of the text, verses 34 and following. Everything else between is between the blind, blind, bed, blind beggar, there we go, and the local area, the local people. The text begins enough, simply enough, with a question that uh, anyone with Jesus might have asked as they saw someone like this blind man. They ask, who sinned? Who's responsible for his condition of being born blind? Was it his father? Was it his mother? Who was it? And instead of giving them a straightforward answer, Jesus goes and takes this blind man and there is a miracle with him to give him his sight. Jesus chose the blind man to heal him. The blind man had no choice. And the blind man didn't ask him to be healed. The blind man couldn't see who he was, who was with him, moving him around, or doing these things to him and talking to him. But he accepted it. So the text begins with the question being asked, and the answer being lived out in the rest of the text of the 41 verses. What else is interesting that uh, as soon as Jesus tells this blind man to go to the pool of water, Siloam, and, and wash his face, he leaves. 
Well, they both leave the area, but Jesus leaves the area more than the blind man does. Because when the blind man comes back, no longer blind, of course, when he comes back, Jesus is gone. So now he can see, but he still can't see who healed him. And he's left all alone to defend himself against the accusations that will be launched against him by his family, by his church, by his uh, neighborhoods, and by his governments, local governments. What's, what's he to do? Well, all he can do is speak what he knows and what he experienced, though he gave the shortest report in theological history about what God did in his life, six words, I was blind and now I see. The challenge for a preacher with this text is to know when to start and when to stop. Believe me, I know. And you'll tell me, I'm sure. It's a challenge because you just can't lift part of the text out of it and the rest remains standing solid. Everything is tightly woven together. What one group does and says affects what a following group does or say to the blind man. And we're going to see that work out here. But if you were to uh, present this text, and I gave some thought to that, it would be a great, great, uh, great dramatic reading. Can you imagine coming here and getting a part to read in a dramatic reading of Jesus and, and uh, Pharisees, a crowd, the parents of the blind man and the blind man himself? Or we could have you choose a character to act out on a stage and have a little skit or something to demonstrate what has happened here and kind of mimic what, what people and what John recorded. But these two uh, options aren't options available to us. They, take, they involve too many people, take too much time. So we could do it in a small group arrangement, organize all of you uh, into groups of 10 to 12 people to answer and discuss uh, multiple answer questions and discuss your response to what you've seen Jesus do and say. But that takes a lot of time to organize, a lot of organization, and we just don't have that. But maybe down the road we could do it. Or option number four is we could analyze the text verse by verse. It would be a slow process, but it would get the job done. But just like my introduction here, it would take a long time to do, and you're probably getting tired of hearing it already. Well, back to the text. I read the text again several times to try to get a feeling where I could enter and leave. And the more I read it, the more it became clear to me the genius of the way John has recorded this option. I mean, I can't think of any other miracle Jesus did where there was so much information available about what happened after the miracle was performed. Usually Jesus would come, he would heal the lepers, they would go off to the temple, he would uh, give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, and so forth, and they would leave too, nobody hung around. But here it's Jesus who leaves, and John who records what happens after that. He's writing and recording to me in a style of a newspaper recorder, reporter. So if you get somebody like going out from the local news saying, here's John, the disciple, and the, at that time, the disciple of Jesus, on the scene, tell us, John, what happened? And he does. He, he lists around uh, well, several incidents, all related and all independent of each other, too. First of all, 
They report that Jesus chose a blind man to illustrate his response to a disciple's question. So the disciples asked the question, but Jesus used a blind man to answer it without giving them an answer, in fact. Second thing, the blind man did not ask Jesus to heal him. No, act, no request for it, no uh, permission from Jesus being asked to do the miracle. Three, as I mentioned a moment ago, Jesus leaves after the giving instructions to the blind man to go to the pool. And then when the blind man returns, Jesus is gone. The fourth thing was that uh, with Jesus gone and the blind man not sure who did what, when, his friends question, is this really the blind man or is this some fraud perpetrated upon us for money? Not sure what to do with him. His friends, good friends, you know, his neighbors, they report him to the Pharisees. Well, that's no friendly thing. They're, they're out to get him already because of his association with Jesus now. The Pharisees ter interrogate him abusively and also his parents. There's a long, almost a paragraph of that dialogue going on. And then the parents abandon him. So he is losing, losing, losing all the way after this wonderful miracle. But he stands behind his report. No matter how hard he's pressed, he says, I was blind, now I see. And the Pharisees verbally assault him and abuse him for this report that he gives, which is obvious to everyone around. So, the blind man re re rebukes the Pharisees. Now, they, they're kind of like a terrorist group of, uh, of Israel and Judah, and uh, he's showing great bravery to confront them verbally with their own words. And he uses their own arguments to argue brilliantly against the Pharisees. He's supporting Jesus' divinity. He's a prophet. He's a hand of God at work. So the Pharisees threatened to kick him out of the church. Not just a nice paper excommunication, a violent, physical, out of the church, goodbye. They do that because he rejects the Pharisees' arguments. In fact, the blind man is using the Pharisees' arguments against them when he defends his faith in Christ to follow Christ's directions. And that's when the Pharisees throw him out of the church not ceremoniously, roughly, and embarrassingly. Well, you know, as I was compiling this list of actions that, that uh, were placed upon the blind man, I kept thinking, where is Jesus? Where in the world is Jesus when we really need him, when this blind man needs help? Where did he go? Doesn't he know what this poor beggar is going through? And, and why doesn't he do something? Now, we've all asked those questions a lot. Look at what he's lost. The beggar blind man has lost his friends. He's lost his family. He's lost his church. He's lost his income because who's going to give money to a blind man who can see? He doesn't know what Jesus looks like or where he is, but he's trying to find him. He's more worse off now just by adding up the numbers than he was before the miracle. At least he had a measure, a small measure of hope. But then I realized, taking all, taken together, all of these events and all these abuses he suffered, it really parallels the same treatment Jesus is going to receive before these very same people, the Pharisees, 
when he arrives in Jerusalem. They will abuse him, they will harass him, they will beat him, and they will kick him out. Outside Jerusalem there, hang him on a cross, put him to death, never more to bother them, they hope. But you know, Jesus was doing something. Jesus, all that time that the Pharisee was arguing and doing a marvelous job of it, Jesus was there filling him with his spirit, giving him the words and the courage to charge ahead and not take it, but to give it back. That's something that happens frequently in the scriptures. Remember the section of the New Testament where Jesus said to the apostles, who uh, soon to be the apostles on the ground, he made this promise, he says, when you are hauled before the Pharisees and the scribes and the enemies, don't worry about what to say. Well, this blind man wasn't worried. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And I, that's what I think is what God was doing with the blind man here, that he received from God himself what to say, how to phrase it, virtually everything. That blind man wasn't alone. He had the whole army of God on his side to get him through this. And when it was over, he went looking for his commander. He went looking for Jesus. Again, for the second time, Jesus finds him. So he's out there wandering around. You can see where he's going now. But he doesn't know who to look for. So Jesus finds him once again. And Jesus doesn't say, well, how'd it go, man? You did a good job. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? He talks faith. And the man answers, yes, but who should I? If I know who it was, I could tell him. And then it happens. Jesus tells him, it's the one you're speaking to now. It's me. And I imagine he just collapsed at Jesus' feet and wept and worshiped. Right now, while this event is fresh in your mind, is when I want to offer you the chance to self-reflect. Not only this text and all that Christ did with the blind man is as it might happen to you. And so I put these questions together. They're not prepared in a scholarly manner and probably not even good questions, but it's something to take with you and think about. So I find sometimes when I'm thinking about something the Lord has, well, I think, laid on my heart, it comes out in a funny way when I try to write it down. So there are, I think, eight or nine here. And I'll briefly explain each one and then set you free to do what you like. But I'd like to begin with the first one because I think it's important. Has anyone ever challenged your faith in Christ in public or in the privacy of your home with family? Have you ever been challenged, confronted for believing in Jesus Christ in all the years you've been a believer? It doesn't happen very often, but it happened to me many years ago. It was Saturday night and I was getting something to take home before Sunday morning. And I was in a large, busy grocery store in Southern California at the time. And uh, this young man comes up to me and, and I'm looking at some merchandise and he starts asking me questions about Jesus and Christian faith and that sort of thing. And I don't have any IDs on me that say that, that I'm a pastor or believer or anything like that. He had a badge, 
listening where he's, what church he was from. And uh, so we're talking for a few minutes and just casually back and forth, oh yeah, this is what uh, we believe and this is what I believe. And then he became more aggressive, actually more predatory in what he was asking me. So it was no more a fair, even-handed discussion. It was, I'm out to, he, he was taking the approach, I'm out to show you how wrong you are and how right I am. And you can never argue or have a good discussion with anyone like that. You just need to say, God bless you, sir. I'll see you later. Well, I tried to say, see you later, but he kept following me. He followed me around the whole store until I headed for the checkout area and he drifted off into some other department. I left kind of stunned, just trying to figure out what in the world had just happened here. Why would anybody do this like this? And I felt ashamed to myself that I didn't do, give a better response. And I felt hurt that I'd been abused by someone who doesn't even know me and angry that it got out of hand. So if you ever had that event happen to you, say thank you very much. We'll talk about it another time. Do not attempt to match them word for word, you'll lose. Well, the blind man knew nothing about Jesus, what he looked like or where he was, until Jesus found him after this miracle and revealed himself to him. Where do you look for Jesus in your life? And where does Jesus, Jesus often find you? He's with us all the time. The Father and the Son and Spirit live with us all the time. So they're hanging out with us. But where do they find us? Where do we find them? What is keeping you from seeing Jesus more clearly? That's an easy one to answer. Probably everything we're doing in life. We're too busy. We don't know exactly what to ask for or to, to, to expect to see. We don't know who could help you do it to help see clearly. Or you, we say, I don't see anything changing for the better of my life. And we're a little too timid to thin, think what could go worse. Jesus is passing by even while we are thinking. John set this up as all kind of a incidental incident while Jesus was on his way somewhere else. But Jesus is headed for you and he's headed for me all the time. So if Jesus is passing by and the question is raised, what would be the question? And how would Jesus use you to illustrate his answer to somebody else's need. That's what he was, a blind man. He was a resource for Jesus to use. What kind of a resource would we be with for Christ ourselves? How would your family and friends respond to you after obeying Jesus' response? Look at what happened to the blind man. You know, his life was a shambles. How would your family and friends respond to you after obeying Jesus' response? I'm a pretty old character, but my interest in pastoral ministry had started when I was a preteen and didn't know any better what it was or just had a lot of admiration for pastors and church workers and thought it'd be so cool to be involved. And I got the biggest re uh, result, not result's the wrong word, 
most of the arguments to not do that came from my parents. And they wouldn't talk about it. They wouldn't say, why? Even though we were in church, we lived in church. Why won't you let me go to uh, uh, the designated Christian high school? Why shouldn't I go to a Christian college or Bible college to study to be a minister? No answers that you can't do it. It won't work. And it was years after I died, my brother and I were going through my dad's effects, you know, cleaning out the garage and that sort of thing. We found a box of letters. And in there, it turned out my dad had tried Bible school for a year to be a pastor. And then he quit. And he never told anybody. We knew he was up there doing it. I mean, we, we discovered the evidence because there's a large class photo. And there he is. You couldn't miss my dad. He wasn't necessarily the best looking guy in town, but you noticed him. And that resentment, or that resistance, is a word I wanted, that resistance to me going into parish ministry, even when I'm a, an adult on my own, can, can speak for myself, even when that was an issue too. So sometimes we find the, the hardest people to convince the closest people to us. Well, how would your relationship with Jesus change if he used you in the way he used the blind man, which means there's something in your life that you, he would like to clear up. I don't know what it is, and you may not know what it is. We can't see it, but Jesus knows. And how would your relationship with him change? Do you think you love him more for what he does with you and me, or would we spend more time with him in prayer and scripture? And most importantly, would we go where he tells us to go? No questions asked. Just leave everything like so many of those disciples did and go with him. We are drawing closer and closer even now to the events that Jesus experienced to give us eternal life, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and his soon reappearing as we pray. And we celebrate and commemorate all these events every time we are together like we will shortly here. God unites us with Christ's death and resurrection and baptism. This is how God prepares us for being answers to problems he's solving. Christ gives us his body and blood and the bread and wine of Holy Communion. God speaks to us in the scriptures, opening our spiritual eyes to see Jesus with the eyes of our heart and mind and to intercede for us that Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede for us with God the Father in groans that words cannot express. Every day, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working hard in our life, whether we notice it or not, or give it any attention or not. But in spite of all these promises and demonstrations of God's faithfulness to us, do you sometimes feel like you are living in a spiritual isolation booth and you can't get out? Then remember that Jesus is not passing by, meaning going on. He's going to stop and see you. So remember the blind man who, through faith in Christ, received through Jesus his actual physical and spiritual sight. He heard God's word in the form of Christ's instructions, go and wash. And God gave him faith to believe the word, and God gave him sight to see the word.
We're all basically a lot like this blind beggar in some, to some degree or another. And for all of us, Jesus stops by. When he stops by, and like he's on a bus, and the tour bus comes up, his ministry tour comes up, and, and he gets off the bus to look around. He sees us laying there in the street in rags, in shredded clothes. So he takes our sin upon himself. He takes those ragged clothes and away from us. And he clothes us instead in his righteousness, his perfect, perfect righteousness. He opens our spiritual eyes to see him clearly. He opens our spiritual ears to hear him clearly in the scriptures, in the sacraments, in the lives of others. We need to leave here today, just keep looking for Jesus. He's going to stop by, and he's going to stop by in your life like he does in everybody's. In Jesus' name, amen.